Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And we do have some visitors here today, and I think we should make them welcome. Thank you for being here. God bless you. Always love to have visitors come and see us and just pray. Our, our hope is that you can leave out of this place and say, wow, I felt something that I don't feel at home. I felt the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Excuse me. If you have your Bibles, I want to go to the book of John, and we're going to read uh, another section of, I don't know, we're going to stay in the book of John for a while. I've lived in this book so long, it just feels like home to me. John being just a, a fabulous, revelatory gospel. I have talked about that. This last few Sundays have been mentioning about John and and about how that some have broke it down. And they say that there are seven signs in the book of John. And uh, so we're looking at those, and we'll probably expand that list a little bit. But we're going through those signs. And so we are to what we would, what some would call the fourth sign of John. And we'll find in the sixth chapter. And I want to read two verses, the tenth and the 11th verses. And so we're taking this right out of the middle of this event. And Jesus said, make the men to recline, and much grass was in that place. And the men reclined, and the number was about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and giving thanks, distributed to the disciples and the disciples to those reclining. And in the same way, the fish, as much as they desired. And so you can tell from the text that this is the feeding of the 5,000. So I want to go into this this morning. And Lord, help us, I pray, as we enter into more than just a happening event, a miracle, it's a sign. And I just pray, Lord, that it be a sign to us this morning. Because your word, if you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, then your word is very relevant right now. And we ask you, Lord, to just make it clear to our heart. Lord, and I pray if there be one here this morning that that just doesn't understand, it doesn't know this power of relationship in you. I pray this morning, God, that you would touch and minister that in your name, Lord. Amen. 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 Again, let me start by saying a sign in the Scripture is a discernible impression left on the matter. In fact, it is trackable. You know where the sign came from. You know the originator, the one who made the sign. And in the scripture, we talk about these signs. It is, it's, it's a discernible impression that the Lord leaves on a situation, on a matter. And he does this so to touch the people. 
It's a sign left upon people so that they will understand something that, that God wants to convey to them. And so the Lord does these signs and these miracles and wonders that we see in Scripture. And again, I wonder about some of the signs that are going on. They don't point me to Jesus. And if there is a sign that's given and it doesn't point you to Jesus, then I would tell you don't take that sign. But when it comes to our Christian life or Christian walk, everything points to our Lord and Savior. The, the three previous signs that we talked about, turning the water into wine, and most people are familiar with that, and then the nobleman's son that was healed, and then last week we talked about Bethesda, the pool of Bethesda, and the man that was raised. Jesus simply used his word. He only spoke. He did no physical action other than speaking. Mary told the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. And he told them to fill the water containers with water and then to draw out. That's all he did. And a miracle, the sign, the wonder happened. And then the nobleman's son, when he was in Cana, and the nobleman's son was dying, who was in Capernaum. And Jesus said, your son is going to live. That's all he did. Your son is living. Just spoke his word. His voice was enough. And then at the pool of Bethesda, the crippled man laying there for many, many years. He had been 38 years with this infirmity and crippled down, could not move, could not get in the pool did not have a man, and Jesus simply spoke these words to him, arise, take up your bed, and walk. Now, that's an amazing thing. We know that by the power of his word, there is, there is just this immense, enormous influence over everything in our life, that he has the power of his word. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it says he holds all things by the power of his word. And so his word spoken to us is so powerful and so great. And this time, in this particular event, the Lord will put his hands on it. The Lord's going to put his hands on this miracle. And so we're going to see somewhere where it has to do with his hands and then even has to do with his feet. This one has to do with these old hands of his. I saw somebody yesterday that was contending that Jesus was not a carpenter, and, and we know that the English translation sometimes will kind of, kind of uh, stretches a little bit. The word there is an artisan. Uh, doesn't mean that he is exactly a carpenter like you and I would be building a house, but, but actually he worked. I believe he worked with wood, and I believe he probably worked with stone and was an artisan. Most of what they did then, of course, was out of stone, but they did also work with wood. And is this not Joseph's son, the artisan? And so, um, but any way you look at it, I like to see Jesus as a working man. Amen. I like the working man. That's something that we promote in this church. We really believe in the working man. We believe that, that producing that, putting your hands. The scripture said, whatsoever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. 
and to do it well as unto the Lord. And, and we believe that and we teach that, that, that it's good. And whatever your employment is, you, you do good at it and, and work hard at it. And we believe in working in, in the Lord. Set this example. I really don't, uh, let's put it this way, I feel like that some preachers that have never worked really haven't fulfilled all of the obligation of getting ready for ministry. Jesus labored, and at the years of 30, then he began his ministry. But up until that time, he was a worker, and he worked with his hands. He worked hard, and I like to see his hands as being calloused. And, and I know that mine are. They're not as, I don't drive as many nails as I used to, but my hands are still rough. I'll shake hands with people, and I say, well, you know, you got calloused hands. Well, they're still kind of callous, and we do run that trial. But, but men that work, men that 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 are busy at doing things, there's something about your hands that you don't have, you know, just just dishpan hands. I mean, you, you, you get some calluses and it's kind of rough. And I think of Jesus' hands as being as being strong, but being rough, being being well used and and a working man's hands. And so when he puts his hands on this, and I like this, this morning we reached out and touched people. The scripture said that if there's any sick among us, let us come, call the elders, and lay your hands on them. Now, my hands really don't mean too much. My hands sometimes, they are not even clean. You know, depending on what I'm doing, they, they get dirty. And I think about Jesus. They didn't have available sinks and washing and carrying around the little, little, uh, little uh, wipes that you know get your hands clean. And he, he just, they just went. And, and in this event, he really... He was out on the mountainside, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably think that, that his hands weren't what we would call sterile, but yet his hands, in his hands, was the power of God in his hands, was the strength, and his hands would convey his purposes just like his voice uh, conveyed his purpose, so his hands also convey the purpose. And so we get into this, this uh, event of the feeding of the 5,000 and and he's got his hands on it, and, and I just like that. It just, it just feels like he is so involved. He's involved with his voice, but it feels like that he has a part in this thing if it's in his hands and, and begins to do something with his hands because I believe that God, with his hands, he made mankind. Can you say amen? And, and he formed him out of the dust of the earth and made him, and God was always an artisan anyway. Before we talk about this, this feeding of the 5,000, it's in all four Gospels. It's a recorded event that, that each one of these men, John was there, Matthew was there, and Peter was there, who spoke through Mark and Luke. Also, he was with the eyewitnesses, and they talked about this specific miracle. This is one of the great miracles, and and so we want to look at, I've got a few things, a few observations before we get started in this miracle that I don't know that you've thought about. I've heard, I know that you've heard this preached on many times, but a meal only lasts you about four or five hours. We get up in the morning and uh, grab a little breakfast. They say that breakfast is the most important meal, and uh, it isn't with me. I'm not really real hungry in the mornings, just a little something and kind of get going, but lunch rolls around, I'm ready to roll. I'm hungry, my stomach, you know, is growling, and so we fix that. We have what we call break, and break is between breakfast and lunch, and if we're not too busy, we sit down and have break, and that way you're not so hungry 
when it comes to lunch. But then about four or five hours later, I look at Kay and say, I'm ready. Let's get dinner going. See, it only lasts you a certain amount of time. Well, Jesus is going to do this great miracle, this miracle of feeding 5,000 people, but it's only going to last them for four or five hours. This is not an eternal blessing here. This is just going to last them a short time, and they will be hungry again. And later on, during his discourse, which we're going to talk about, during that discourse, they said to him, Lord, give us this bread that you eat and you never hunger again. I guess they were tired of eating. I don't tire of eating. Can everybody say amen? And so, give us of this bread that we never... Remember the woman at the well, she said uh, a thing that was similar to that when Jesus said, if you drink of this water, you will never thirst again. He's not talking about the well that they're at. He's talking about the water of him, the water of life. And she also says, Lord, give me of this water so I don't have to come and draw water again. There were 5,000 men, and we know that women and children were there. We can't verify that women were there, but we can verify that children were there because a boy brought his lunch. 5,000 men, women, and children, at least 5,000. I'm going to do my figures on 5,000. And if a boy's lunch was five barley cakes or small rolls, not a big loaf like we have here this morning, but a small roll, five of those and two, and the scripture says, small fish. Now, he didn't bring a big carp. He brought just little probably sardine-type fish, and, and they're going to have, I don't know if he's going to have a fish sandwich, but I guess a fish sandwich originated in the Bible, right? So he's got five barley lives, or loaves, and they're small little rolls and two fish. If it, if it was only five barley loaves and two small fish that filled a little boy, how much would it take to fill a man? Well, let's just say double that. Maybe 10 of those small loaves and four fish. I think that would probably be sufficient. If that were the case, and we're only talking about 5,000 men, we'll forget the women and children for now because we don't have that number. <clears throat> but if that is the case, the Lord would only need to make 50,000 loaves of bread. That's all. 20,000 small fish. The enormity of this miracle has to be compared to, and Jesus does compare it in the discourse, has to be compared to the manna that the Lord put on the desert floor for the whole people of Israel to collect and to eat. It's just some observations. So serving and eating and collecting the fragments must have taken quite some time. Now, we just got done with the ladies' conference, and the men served, and we served it, took it out, and then when they were done, we, we cleaned it up, put everything in the garbage cans, and, and it took us about two hours, right? And there was roughly 100 women that ate. But I want to break this down as if, let's just say that each person, it only took one second to service them. One second to give them some bread, and one second to collect it back up, because they did collect all the fragments. And if it just took one second for each one of those people, and only 5,000 without the women and children, 
It would have took two hours. This miracle kept going and going and going. There's no doubt about this. The people that were there, there is absolutely no doubt in their mind what is going on. It's this bread is being multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. It's not a big old tower of bread that is laid there at the feet of Jesus. He breaks this. He gives it to them. They begin to hand it out. And as they hand it out, they are breaking it to them. And somehow that supply just keeps going and going and going. And this miracle keeps going on for several hours. This miracle is happening. And then the collection process takes place. And the scripture clearly says that there were 12 baskets of fragments left over. And we think about the fragments. What kind of fragments? Well, they broke the bread and and the pieces that were left over and they collected them all that nothing be lost. And if you take those 20 or those 12 baskets that that equals 25 times more than what the kid came with in the first place. And I want you to know something about that is that God always does above and beyond what you can think. Say amen. Let me say it. He has just enough. Well, really he has an overabundance. And I think the miracle shows that, that hey, this, this, this just wasn't a chance. There's, there's plenty there. And then I put down here, do you like to eat leftovers? I happen to like to eat leftovers. And some of you that haven't experienced that, maybe you're spoiled, don't like eating leftovers. I think most of us here do. Uh, you get that spaghetti in the refrigerator about one or two more days, and I'm going to tell you what, the flavors really come up in that. Amen. And, and, but you, can you imagine What did they do with these 12 baskets of God-inspired bread? And I wonder, well, maybe each one of the, maybe each one of the disciples got a basket. I don't know, but it shows them going very quickly after that. They went out into their boat, and they had forgot to bring bread. So eh, it probably didn't go with them. Maybe it went back to the young man. How could he carry 25 baskets of bread home? But can you imagine having that left over? I think I would put a little bit in a safe or something, you know, like they did, like they did with, with the pot of manna that went into the Ark of the Covenant. You know, it's just, this is so special. The Lord made this bread, and, and so it was an amazing thing. And when we get to the miracle here, let's look at, and we'll begin at the first of the chapter of six, and the Jewish Passover was nigh. And the Jewish Passover is also called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So the Lord takes his disciples, and he has this all planned. He knows what's going to happen. He takes his disciples out on the hillside, and he is there by the Lake of Galilee. And he's teaching them, and they're probably going over some of the principles and things that he's trying to share with his disciples. And then, and then they begin to see a crowd because the crowd found out where he was and the crowd begins to come out to that place. And the Lord saw them. And then one of the gospels says that he ministered to them and then after a while he was going to send them away. And, but he asked Philip here in John, he asked Philip, he said, what are we going to do to give these to eat? Because they've traveled so far and they've come this way. And Philip said an amazing thing. He says, well, he said, if we had 
200 denarii, he said. There'd only be enough there, enough bread. We could buy enough bread that each one had just a little. And so we look up to see how much a denarii is worth, and a denarii in our, in our time would be worth $200. And so Philip says to him, if we had $40,000, we might be able to buy just enough for everyone to have a tiny bit. But the Lord already knew what he was doing. And so they bring him a boy's lunch, and I believe that that lunch probably, I think the, the lad was trying to give it to Jesus, don't you? He comes to his disciples, the disciple Andrew had it. I think he came to Andrew and said, I want you to give this to Jesus. I know he probably doesn't have anything to eat. The little lad brought that lunch, and, and that's all that they had. And then the Lord, we get down to verse 10, and the Lord says, recline, get them down on the grass, sitting down. And I believe the reason why he wanted them to sit down is because he wanted to stand up, and he wanted everybody there to see what was going on. And so here comes the sign. Here comes the sign, and we're talking about the sign this morning. He takes the bread, probably one of those little barley loaves. He takes it. He blesses it. He breaks it. And he gives it. This is the signature of Jesus. He will go on to say, I am the bread of life. And he takes this loaf, he holds it up where everyone can see. He blesses it. And then he breaks it. And then he gives it out. The word signature, the first part of that is sign. And I believe this is the signature of Jesus Christ. This is the reason for the miracle. Not so that people could eat and five hours later they would be hungry again. There's something greater than that. And that's why I've been preaching about it. There's something greater than just the miracle. What are we trying to do here? Feed people for five hours so they'll be okay? Or is it that he's going to show a sign and give a revelation of something that's so much deeper that really bread that passes away. No wonder Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, because there's something more important than your daily bread. Can you say amen? I think we spend most of our time dealing with our current events, our current problems, the things that bother us, the needs that we have. And really there's something deeper in our life than just having another job to make more money to get more stuff. God is calling us to a deeper bread than just the bread of provision. The Lord is the Lord of provision, but he's calling something deeper in our life. You're not going to live by bread alone. You're not living by provision alone. You're living, you are actually existing by every word that proceeds out of of the mouth of God. And so the bread is the signature here of Jesus. And it's all principle, I believe. If we look from this point, it becomes principle. He breaks that bread, the bread of life, and he gives it to his apostles. 
you know the Lord is still using that same process? And there's a lot of people that don't like preachers. They don't like apostles. They don't like evangelists and teachers. And, and they don't like prophets. And I know that that's out here. I want to live by my own rules. I want to do my own thing. But God, even at this point, is showing that he gives the bread of life to his apostles and teachers. And his apostles and teachers, again, give it to the congregation. They need it themselves. And they receive it themselves. But then they also give it to the congregation. This is a principle of God that has never stopped until this very day I believe that God has instituted not special men not just holy men not just men of God but men that would take the word and deliver it to the people as it should such food for your soul I don't want you to come here this morning and just get some fluff I don't want you to come here this morning and feel good I want you to be fed when you leave out of here this morning it's been my job to feed the sheep Peter I'm calling you to a job, and that is to feed my sheep. And so God ordained this, instituted this long ago, and he still works with this very idea. He breaks the bread. He gives it to his ministers, and his ministers in turn give it to the people. Can you say amen? And everybody ate and was full. Everybody ate. And the scripture said they were They were full. They that do hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. You can come to church on a Sunday morning and say, well, I'm not really very hungry, and you'll get nothing. You can come to church looking for the song that you want to sing, and we didn't sing the song I wanted to sing, and and preacher didn't preach the word that I wanted to hear this morning, and you go home with nothing, or you can come as an open vessel and say, Lord, I'm hungry this morning. God, I need something in my spirit. Oh, I've been going through some things. I've got some things in front of me, and I need something from God. And when you come with that attitude, those that are hungry and thirsty shall be filled because he's going to get bread. He's going to give bread to the hungry. And everyone was filled and full. And there was plenty in reserve. Because our God does exceeding, abundant, above all that you can ask or think. What a good, wonderful God who not only provides, but he has even extra on top of that. This miracle sign, it sets up another discourse that Jesus may begin to reveal himself one more time. And I said this from the beginning, the signs are there not just to heal a man here, not just to raise a boy there, not just to turn water into wine. What does all that mean? You know, we drink that, and then we eat the bread, and then, you know, and then we just go on. What does it all mean? It's something much, much deeper than that. And so the sign here is to set up a discourse. It's to set up this discourse that Jesus wants to reveal himself. And let me say this about the preaching of the Word of God. And I listened this week to a man that, that, and I turned over to Kay and I said, he hasn't said anything about the Lord. He hasn't said anything about the relationship that you need to have in Christ Jesus. All he's talked about is secular things and humanistic things and what God wants to do for you and bless you. And really, at the core of this whole thing is our relationship in Christ Jesus, to know him, to know him, 
to know who he is, to know what he's doing, what he's doing in your life, how he is managing to save you and change you and, and do things in your life that you can't do yourself. And by this, he sets up a discourse to talk about himself. And I'm here this morning, like Pastor Rodney said, I'm not here to talk about current events this morning. I'm not here to talk about me. I'm not here to talk about Echoes of Calvary. I'm here to talk about Jesus to you this morning because he is the one who will change everything that has to do with your life. And so he begins to talk about himself in the form of I am. And again, I, I don't know if we need to go back and, and restudy that, but but I am is just a reference to way back when Moses said, God, who shall I say sent me? Getting ready to go down to Egypt, deliver the people in the Exodus. Who shall I say sent me? And the Lord said, you tell him I am that I am has sent you. And so when I, Jesus, when I see him say, I am, it connects me to the God of the Old Testament. A lot of folks believe there was a God and it worked in the Old Testament. Then we have the God that works in the New Testament. But, but Jesus claims that I am connects him to everything that happened in the Old Testament. So he will say, I am. And then he will say, I am the bread of life. See, feeding the 5,000 was not just about hungry people. Feeding the 5,000 was about the exposure of Jesus, this self-exposure of Jesus for who he is, this self-revelation, I am the bread of life. You don't need to look anywhere else if you're hungry. You don't need to look for another God. You don't need to name another name. We only just have one name that we work through, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. He is the one and only. He's the one that does salvation in our life. He does the healing in our life. He does the redemption of our life. There isn't anything about our life that we don't go to him for. And the bread of life, which typifies really the word of God coming out and into our spirit, I am the bread of life. In verse 35, in verse 41, in verse 45, and verse 51, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread. You see, what happened out here and why I fed these people is I want you to know something. There is nothing else to eat that is going to change you. There's nothing else to eat that will save you. I am the bread of life. For 32 verses, Jesus will give this discourse pouring out of himself a self-revelation to the people of who he is. Sad to say that at the end of this discourse was a lot of offense. If you go down to the end of the chapter and begin to read the, the, the seventh chapter, many of those that heard his word were offended. They were offended at that word. They were not offended at the bread, eating the bread. They liked that. They're not offended at the sign. But what the sign represents, they're offended at. It's the same thing going on today. Man, you can, you can come to church to get your goodies. You can come to church to do a praise and a worship and a smile on your face and see everybody. But when we get down to where Jesus is at and who he is and what he wants and what he requires in our life, then people start 
getting a little bit offended. They said, this is a hard saying. This is a hard concept. Because Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He said, if you're going to have life, you're going to have to eat of me. He that eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood has life within him. And they said, well, what is he teaching? Cannibalism? What are we going to do? Take a bite out of his arm and, and drink some of his blood? No, no, he's talking about something that's far deeper than that. If you eat of his flesh, and I think about him, if you believe that God came in the flesh, some folks don't believe that God came in the flesh. They believe a prophet arose. They believe that somehow that Jesus was anointed to be a Messiah, but they're having problems believing that God came in the flesh. You're going to have to eat of his flesh before you get anywhere with him because he was incarnated in Christ Jesus. The God of heaven exposed himself in the world. He was the man named Jesus. You're going to eat of his flesh or you will have no part of him. And drink of his blood. Boy, that sounds, you know, kind of weird and wicked and, and maybe sort of the occult or something, drinking the blood of dead animals and things. But you're, there, is, there is no remission for your sin outside the blood of Jesus Christ. There's only one thing that will wash your soul, and that's not reformation, and that's not coming in and turning over a new leaf, and that's not signing the, the rolls of a church book, and that isn't just coming to church and being faithful, but the blood of Jesus Christ. Churches have quit preaching about the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the power that washes your sin away. It's not just body fluid. It's not just something to sing about. It is the power of God unto salvation. The blood cleanses your life. The blood, it is that washes your sin. Not water, not baptism, the blood of Jesus Christ. If you don't drink of his blood, eat of his flesh, there just simply is no life in you. Let me give you, I'm put up a warning sign this morning. Beware. Beware. Having been exposed to the revelation of who Jesus is, I am mighty God. It's imposed upon you to then make a choice. It's something we do in this church. We don't have a lot of what we call altar calls. We're talking to Sister Beth a little bit about this the other day, and she said, I, I, I like that because sometimes just that instant response hasn't been thought out. You don't come to the Lord and just serve Him for a day. You serve Him for a lifetime. Well, I'm going to sign up today, and if I don't like what's going on, then I'll just, I'll just go back. No, no. You make a choice. And so you're cognizant, uh, aware who Jesus is, what his word says about, what he says about himself, and exposed to you now who he is. He's the I am. He is the bread of life. And I have a choice this morning whether to receive that or to be offended. The people that are offended and turn away, they just walk back into their life and just go on, keep heading towards hell. Because the only salvation is to receive him. And so returning to just our old life and after we've had 
this exposure of who Jesus Christ is, let me, let me just give you a beware because I don't believe that God, having showed his mercy to mankind, is responsible to do it again to your life. Let me say this is an open thing. Anytime you're ready, you come to the Lord. No. No one comes to him unless they have been drawn by him. And so when the Spirit calls, when the revelation of Jesus Christ is rolled out in front of you, this is the time that we respond to his word. Amen. Amen. The bread of life encompasses our whole Christian being. That bread that came down from heaven. Jesus talking to them and said, they said, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness under Moses. And he says, he says I'm not talking about manna that came down uh, and, and God supplied the, the, the physical. Now, I'm talking about the bread that came out of heaven is upon you. And, and they very little understand it and want to receive it. But it is, we know, his fleshly body. What's called the Last Supper, and you can see here this morning that I've got down in front of us. What's called the Last Supper is really going to derive from this miracle of the feeding of 5,000. It's similar in nature. It will be similar in how he describes himself as the bread. And the Lord on that last night of his lifetime, he signed this picture of the broken bread. And I know all of you have seen the Last Supper. And kind of humorous is they got to one point and they said, everybody to one side of the table, we're going to paint a picture. So, <laughs> so every time you see that, you'll see them all on one side. Has everybody seen the Last Supper picture? I think, was it Michelangelo? 1,500 years later? I don't know how he'd know. But anyway, but the Lord just doesn't have, it's not the supper. See, we put emphasis on the supper. No, it's what happened after the supper. It said, and he took the bread. It'll be the same action that he did when he fed the 5,000. He took it. He blessed it. He broke it. And he gave it. The same action. See, it was signature to him. After his resurrection... Remember, two men on the way to Emmaus, it said they, Jesus came alongside them and talked with them and they, and they went to Emmaus and he's talking to, they didn't know who he was, but it was the Lord, ascended Lord came and walked with them and talked to them about the things that had just happened and they constrained him to not go by, but to come in with them and spend the time there. They, he came to their house and then they brought out the bread and he took it. And he blessed it. And he broke it. And when he gave it, their eyes popped open. It's, that's him. We know this action. This goes all the way back to the feeding of the 5,000. Is that God takes that bread and God took the body of Jesus Christ, the bread of life. He took it. He blessed it. 
He broke it. And he gave it. He took that body and he said to the angels, you will worship him now. We talked about that last week, entering into the habitable world. Habitable world. God says of him, all the angels of God shall worship him and bless him. And he is blessed. Can you say amen? And then God takes that bread, that bread of life, that body, and breaks it. He breaks it with a whipping and a beating. And then the crucifixion, where his body is broken down, his body is mutilated from all the events of of the whipping and crucifixion. But then he's not done there. He breaks that body, and he gives it to mankind. God loved the world in this way, that he gave the only begotten He gave the only begotten Son that whosoever believed in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you remember that? It's because of His broken body that we have everlasting life. It's because He takes the bread and He breaks it, blesses it, breaks it, and then He gives it out. And I thank God because this thing that that he did in his incarnate body is so important. He enacted it way back in feeding of the 5,000 there. The importance of the Lord's Supper was revealed in the sign of the feeding of the 5,000. Obviously, they did not accept him, and they indulged in eating of bread to the point that they wanted to make him the king, and Jesus went into the mountain by himself because they were going to make him king and anoint him as king over them because they were eating of the bread and that was not the essence of what he was trying to do here what he was trying to do was give them an inside track to understand who Jesus is to understand the bread of life to understand partaking and eating of that bread of life is going to save your soul they wanted him as the king the selfish reasons for, for deliverance of their country maybe for for the purposes of provision, maybe, but they did not want him as the king of glory. And they refused him as the king of glory, but to as many as received him, he gave them the power or authority really the privilege to become the children of God. And I sit here this morning and talk to some people who made a choice. And because you have received him now, you have been given the privilege to become the children of the Lord. And let me tell you, one of the privileges that you have as being in the king's family is that you get to sit at his table. And so what I've got to say to you this morning is, you're a child and you get to eat of the bread of the master. The king has bread laid out and we get to eat of it because we have received him this morning. Considered to be the most sacred rite of the early church is the eating of the Lord's Supper. Most sacred rite. Some say baptism as well. Baby baptism. They've got other points that they, they believe is most important. The most important Christian right we have, and that word right there, R-I-T-E, or ceremony, is conducting 
what we call the Lord's Supper. Some call it communion. Because that in itself, it shows something that nothing else shows. This does show my death. It shows the Lord's death until He comes. It's so important. The early church literally, I believe every service that what I understand from history, almost every service, they had communion because it was so important to them. If you uh, have seen the pictures of what they found in Megiddo, the earliest church, they figured it to be about the end of the second century. There you will find in that little church building, there's nothing left but just a mosaic floor. But one of the inscriptions says, this altar is to the God Jesus Christ. And that altar was a representation of, they took communion. And they, they put the communion out like we have here this morning, out on a little altar. And to them, it was so important. Because I want to tell you something about the Lord's Supper. is He's got his hands all over it. And you may not see him this morning. You may, you may not believe that he's really too involved. But I believe if he gave for us to do this, that as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. I believe if the Lord gave it to us to do this, that he has got his hands on the bread this morning that you and I are no different than they were 2,000 years ago. We might have different accommodations and, and the way we live and all of the things that we have, but really as people, we're no different than they were then. The church is no different. We are the same church as they were 2,000 years ago. We're still following Jesus Christ. We're still enacting everything that he has put into the church. And I believe that this commission that he has given to us to take the bread and to break the bread and to give it to the people. I believe that this is a call from the Lord, but it reminds us of something deeper. This isn't just some little snack that we're going to have or a little Christian ceremony or rite that we're going to have, but this shows something about him that relates to us, and that is he died for you, he bled for you, he gave his life for you, and he rose again for you, and he ascended on high for you, and you're here this morning because of the blood and because of the body of Jesus Christ. The scripture said, without the shed blood, there is no remission of sin. But he took the bread first. If you read the layout of the story of the Last Supper, he took the bread first. Why? Because if you don't break the body, there's no blood. The body's got to be broken for the blood to issue out. And so he takes the body first. And a lot of times I think we put the emphasis on the blood, which, which it's there. But you're not going to get to the blood without the body. Because the blood was inside of his body. And Acts 20, 28 said it was, it was God's blood. And it was inside of him, but it's not going to do you any good until it gets out of him. He said, this is my blood. He took the cup and he said, this is my blood which is poured out. And it can't pour out 
without the broken body. So we go all the way back to this miracle of feeding the 5,000. There it is, right in the middle of this thing. It's the broken body. And when the body is broken, then the blood will begin to issue out. And we believe that he died from exsanguation, or in other words, he bled out on the cross. There was nothing left. He bled it all out for you and I. But where did it come from? It came from that broken body. It came from that incarnate body of God who he dwelled in, who he lived in. And now this body is broken for you and I. Can you say amen? Man, Sister Debbie, would you come? And Brother Tom and musicians, would you come this morning? And we're going to sing a little something. But there was an old song, and it crossed my mind. It said, on Calvary's hill of sorrow, where sin's demands were paid, and rays of hope for tomorrow across our path, was laid I see a crimson stream of blood that flowed from Calvary its waves which reach the throne of God are sweeping over me awesome I see that crimson stream of blood But that blood comes out of a broken body. And so we take this this morning as a whole. The broken bread, the blood which came out, every bit of it, atonement for us this morning. I thank God I was a sinner. I was going in a wrong direction. My life was headed to ruin. But Jesus Christ, He washes white as snow. I don't care who you are this morning or where you've been. The broken body of Jesus Christ, the blood that issued out is sufficient to wash you. After he washes you, you are clean and pure and right and holy before the great Lord God. You can't do better than that. It washes washes white as snow.
we're going to enact the Lord's Supper. But the similarities are the feeding of 5,000. If there were 5,000 here this morning, the bread would be enough. That broken body, it is for the whole world. But we're just going to feed who's here today. And, and not in the sense of, of filling you like they did, but, but in the type of the bread that came down from heaven. So I'm going to ask my brethren to come and help me. Brother Rodney, would you come? Brother Austin, come and help me. And uh, Brother Chris, would you come? Brother Aaron, would you come and help us this morning? It's going to take a minute. It took a few minutes for him to get all the bread out there on that 5,000, right? Took, it took a couple minutes. So it's going to take us a couple minutes, but it won't lose the impact. Before you go here, before you go, just a second. We're going to do it the Lord way. I'm going to take this bread, and I've got fellowship hands, I guess. I don't know. It's like the Lord. This is church bread. Sister Sarah made this, and we've always struggled. Somebody said, well, you can't. You have to use unleavened bread. Perfect. This is unleavened. we thank you Lord that you were broken in our place Lord without your body going to the cross Lord without carrying that load to the cross we have no blood we have no forgiveness of sin but thank you Lord the broken body the bread we go all the way back to the feeding of the 5,000 Lord to see this example Lord you took it I've got it you blessed it. We bless this in type this morning, Lord. We're going to break it and give it.
disciple way. We're handing it out. Jesus Christ this morning. Man, he's the bread. He's the bread of life. Barack Obama, this came to my mind. He said that the Muslim call to prayer was one of the most prettiest sounds on earth. The most beautiful thing you'll ever see is a congregation of people that have before them the bread, the body, and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the most beautiful thing there is. Because we're not hoping that Allah will find somehow favor for us. We are favored in the beloved. Oh yeah. We are washed in Him. We're in Him this morning. Can you say amen? I'm in Him this morning. We've already blessed this bread. Let's just partake of it now. Thank you, Lord. Symbolic fashion, Lord. We just believe this bread, Lord. What you did with your disciples. beautiful than that. I just looked and everyone in this place went. And the Lord's looking at that and said, that's, that's what I gave them to do. That's what I ordained for them in a celebration that Jesus is our Savior. What a wonderful, wonderful Lord. Can you say amen? 
Let's just stand to our feet this morning. Let's give the Lord a praise right here. Come on, clap your hands and give the Lord a praise and a thank you. We praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We were lost and undone. We thank you, Lord, that you've drawn us in, Lord. We were strangers, but you brought us in, Lord. We were outsiders and foreigners, Lord, but you drew us close. Sing one more time, oh, the blood of Jesus, oh, of you. Don't forget tonight we'll be back here at 6 o'clock. We'll be having service, serving our Jesus. Hey.